You're listening to Tash Amplified, a podcast that seeks to transform research and experience concerning inclusion and equity for people with disabilities into solutions people can use in their everyday lives. Today we're talking with Mona Furstenau of Bethesda Lutheran Communities and Tony Armitage of One Classroom. These two organizations have sponsored and organized the Wednesday workshop, Faith and Inclusion, Embracing Inclusion for People with Disabilities in School and Community, to be held this Wednesday, November 30th, at the 2016 TASH Annual Conference in St. Louis, Missouri. To learn more about the conference, including a full schedule and to register, visit tash.org slash conference2016. In today's episode, we discuss how faith communities can be more inclusive, how parents can advocate for inclusive education in private schools where the Federal Individuals with Disabilities Education Act doesn't apply, faith communities as networks of natural supports, and how places of worship can leverage their networks to help people with disabilities in areas such as employment. Please introduce yourself for our listeners. How did you come to work with people with disabilities and their families? Sure. Uh, my name is Tony Armitage. Uh, my wife, Leanne, and I uh, live in St. Louis with our two children, Mary and Christopher. Uh, Mary is 13 years of age. Christopher is nine. And Christopher was born with Down syndrome. And uh, uh, our journey with Christopher has been a blessing uh, to our family. It's uh, changed our lives and it's given us the opportunity to uh, learn more about the world of disabilities and uh, becoming advocates for individuals with special needs. My uncle had Down syndrome. He was born in 1920. So on a personal level, I've seen quite a bit of the change that has occurred in uh, the world's acceptance of individuals with special needs and how our institutions have gradually evolved. And as much progress as we've made, we haven't made enough progress. So it's it's very important to us as a family and uh, certainly as part of our faith community to find ways to uh, further welcome individuals with special needs in our communities. And Mona, first to now, please introduce yourself and tell us about your journey with people with disabilities and their families. Well, I began by studying the field of speech language pathology in college and was interested in working with those with disabilities in that capacity and did so for about 13 years. Then I started my family and um, my son has significant challenges uh, with ataxic cerebral palsy, is on the autism spectrum and other significant things as well. And so it became a personal passion. Uh, As a lifelong Christian, I was uh, concerned about our journey in our faith community, which um, created a lot of barriers unnecessarily for us. And so I became passionate about helping other families navigate that and helping the church to become sanctuary um, and welcoming and a place of inclusion for all. Uh, That advocacy landed me in several leadership roles in disability task force, uh, both in my region of the Northwest and also across the country with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, 
uh, and ultimately ended in a position with Bethesda Lutheran Communities as a ministry consulting, supporting people with developmental disabilities in their faith communities and in their faith walks across the country. And so Bethesda is a provider of residential services and vocational and faith supports uh, in 13 states across the country. And we're one of the few of thousands of providers that believe that faith supports are as important as any other supports in helping people with intellectual and developmental disabilities live a full life. We have a religious life staff of over 25 people across the country who advocate for people's choice in faith communities of all kinds. And so that's what I'm currently doing and that's what brings me here today. Tony, can you tell us about the work of One Classroom? Sure. Uh, One Classroom is a foundation dedicated to creating uh, inclusive educational opportunities for individuals with special needs in Catholic schools. Uh, our primary mission is to start by creating awareness, creating awareness of the opportunities of inclusive education, its benefits, and why it provides a, a superior uh, opportunity for both the academic uh, spiritual and social formation of individual special needs and their typically developing peers in the school system. So creating awareness is job number one. We also advocate and educate. So when we approach a school system or uh, an individual school principal, teacher, or even families in the community, we have to show them how inclusion works and what the mechanics look like and how it works in the classroom and in a system. For many parochial schools, uh, inclusion and welcoming individual special needs is a challenge and it's new to them. And it's quite likely they have never experienced it themselves. So educating how it works is a big part of what we do. We also create communities of uh, educators and communities of families. Uh, we believe that knowledge transfer and an experience transfer between peers is critical to changing uh, the culture of our schools and increasing the abilities of our schools and families to successfully participate uh, and become inclusive. So we create forums for families to get together and teachers to get together. We host a lot of professional development uh, activities uh, to share knowledge and best practices in regards to inclusion. And we also raise money. Um, most private schools, uh, religious schools in particular, they don't receive much in the way of public funding and they are continually resource constrained. So we acknowledge that a big part of the solution is providing financial support to schools so they can start to figure out how to become inclusive and develop that institutional capability to be successful with students. Inclusion, uh, long-term, uh, pays for itself because you're going to have schools that attract more students. You're going to increase your ability to educate all students, which impacts your retention of students. But initially, for those first five or ten years, schools really do need a helping hand. They need training. They need support. Uh, it's very important to us as an organization that we don't fail these children, that we fully support the teachers and the staff so they can be successful when they include children with special needs. So that resource component is vital to make sure that uh, that educational process is sound for everyone involved and we can be successful as we go through this journey together. So uh, we're primarily focused on the St. Louis community and we're primarily focused on Catholic schools in St. Louis, but we reach out to other private schools and other faiths as well. And that's part of our goal uh, with the workshop with TASH is to share what we're experiencing and bring experts into the, the TASH community to share our knowledge 
so that all private schools and all faiths can benefit from our experiences and the strategies that we put together to be successful in welcoming children with special needs. And Mona, what projects are you working on with uh, the Bethesda Lutheran communities? Oh, they're vast and varied. Uh, last week I was at the triennial convocation of Lutheran educators across the country. There was about 3,600 of them who met together for their meetings to further their education. I presented a couple of workshops there, which were well attended. I had well over 200 educators in my two sessions talking about how to talk with parents around um, kiddos that may be um, exhibiting some concerns around learning and learning differences. And I talked with, about sensory supports and strategies. Uh, and the high attendance just shows you, like Tony said, that teachers in private schools often don't have the education, the background, the supports, the continuing ed opportunities um, to learn as much as they can to help support these kids in their classrooms. And so um, I try and do that kind of education whenever I get an invitation to do so. Uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has a number of organizations that do resource just like Tony was talking about. Lutheran Special Education Ministries as headquartered in Michigan does consulting with Lutheran schools around inclusion and supports for kids with special ed needs. Lutheran Special School and Educational Services does similar uh, in Wisconsin and uh, we work closely with the CLC network, Christian Learning Center network um, based also in Michigan I think but, but nationwide who supports and consults with schools. So often I'm referring um, folks to further expertise uh, that I'm aware of and as far as in schools and preschools for us. But primarily for Bethesda, our bigger mission is equipping church and faith communities, the church at large, um, to be more inclusive and to become places of belonging for people with disabilities. So those 25 religious life staff I talked about, a big part of their job is to equip congregations and churches to be more inclusive, to provide them with adapted materials, to help them understand and begin to become aware of uh, the need for people with disabilities to have a faith community and the value that they bring to that faith community, the diversity that they bring to that, um, to that community as well. And so part of my job as director of Lutheran Ministry Partnerships and just ministry partnerships um, are things like this TASH workshop where we get in the broader conversation about how can any church and faith community be more inclusive and more welcoming? What can they do? So Bethesda's focus is more at congregations and churches and supporting adults with disabilities in those um, arenas. What can churches do to be more inclusive? Especially what, what do churches who are just starting out on inclusion need to know? Wow, uh, that's a great question. Um, when you talk about a faith community, um, you're really talking about us as being part of the body of Christ. And it, it has to come with the, a very basic understanding that we all created the image of likeness of God, that we must all be full participants at the table with Christ in our community, and that all human beings have an intrinsic value based on their 
creation by God. So as a church, we must be fully welcoming uh, in everything we do, in our churches, in our events, and all our institutions. And it also means that we are compelled to extend preferential treatment to those individuals that are disadvantaged or they're experiencing um, uh, disadvantages as part of systems. And so it begins with teaching our values in our relationship to Christ and the Gospels. That's the foundation of everything we do. So in the public uh, sphere, we talk about social justice uh, and we talk about civil rights. But in the faith context, it has to be rooted in our relationship with God and our relationship with Christ and his teachings in the Gospels. So we must continue to remind ourselves of our responsibilities to each other as part of the body of Christ. And that must extend uh, to everything we do, all our meetings, all our events, all our schools. Our organization has to be focused on schools in particular, but our responsibility extends well beyond schools. It should be to, to all our ministries and everything we do. So it, it really begins and ends with our relationship with Christ, and we must continue to remind ourselves and teach ourselves what our responsibilities as being one body in Christ. And Mona? Yeah, I would add that going back to what Tony said originally, it's really around increasing awareness of people who may never have thought about disability or people with disabilities as uh, needing to be part of their faith community or may not have thought of them at all. Um, the statistics that Dr. Eric Carter has been doing some research has uncovered that there's no difference really statistically between people with disabilities and those without who want to be involved in a faith community. The difference comes when you talk about those who've been involved anytime regularly or within the past month or two. And then there's a significance difference in, in the participation of people with disabilities in faith communities. And we dig deeper, and Dr. Carter's done a number of research um, projects lately. He digs deeper into the reasons behind that. It has to do with not feeling welcome, with barriers, not physical barriers necessarily, but attitudinal barriers, um, with people not understanding or or wanting to learn uh, what would it take, what would it need, what would we need to do for someone with a disability to be part of this um, organization, part of this faith community. And so it really gets to that willingness to discover and understand, the willingness to see how marginalized people with disabilities are, and then to journey through that process and think about what can we do to reach out to those who are marginalized? Um, how can we advocate within our faith community? How can we advocate within our community, town, city about around access to and welcome and belonging and it's all about that dignity and respect that people with disabilities bring value into relationships and into places where they are and and that beginning disability awareness around that I think is the very beginning place it's where we begin with a church who's just sort of scratching their head and saying well this is a new idea what do we where do we start what do we do we give them some of that information to be more well informed and then we give them some tools about some easy first steps to do uh, to be welcoming it may just be something as simple as putting a 
wheelchair handicapped accessible symbol outside visible from the street not just on a parking spot and in their ad on the website that says um, we have a bathroom that's accessible we have a door that's accessible come and we'll work with you to have you be part of this faith community it goes beyond that of course but. so can you maybe tell us what some of the next steps would be that go beyond the most basic things you can do well um our personal experience is a family uh where their son christopher uh was that it was very challenging uh for him to go to school uh with his sister and with his um neighbors in his community and it was a real eye-opener for us and uh it was it was it was very difficult for a period of time and i can only imagine that we what we experienced as a family uh was experienced uh uh, by many other families and not just in the educational context and as we tried to solve the problem it became apparent to us uh, very early on in the process that it really wasn't just about our family and it really wasn't just about our son and it really wasn't just about schools or catholic schools it was, it was a real systemic issue and you needed comprehensive solutions and you needed long-term solutions to achieve sustainable change and uh, part of why we established the foundation was to create a platform, was to create an institution that could help meet some of those more profound systemic issues and could match up with the institutions that needed to gradually change so that change would be sustainable. So um, we recognize that we are part of a church and the church has an apparatus and the school system within the church is an institution that has a certain pace of change. And we need to uh, advocate at all levels, both from our archbishop to our superintendent of schools, to our principals, to our administrators. We need to have constant advocacy year after year, sustained communication and sustained support to achieve change. So in a very real sense, part of the solution is creating institutions and creating processes where you can match up with the system, if you will, and advocate for change on an ongoing, consistent basis. Uh, simply having our son go to school wasn't enough. That wasn't going to achieve uh, sustainable change. We have to recognize that it's, it's a much more complex equation. Um, certainly, uh, having more professional communication is a big part of it. So reaching out to the uh, folks like TASH and professional educators who really know their stuff and bringing them into your community so they can communicate more effectively to the stakeholders is a big part of it. A lot of times a school uh, just doesn't know where to start and they, the heart's willing, but they don't know how to do it. So creating that network of experts that can support the school is a big part of the solve. You need excellent experienced practitioners that can deliver solutions at the school level and at the administrative level so they can implement successfully uh, and achieve real change. It's also important that you start building a genuine community. So creating awareness and creating these, these parent groups and these teacher groups is really, really vital. 
when you start to allow people to develop genuine relationships with individuals with special needs, your community changes. When I walk into our parish schools and I look at the children that go to uh, and share classrooms with the children with special needs that have been invited into the school, those kids are different than they used to be. And they're much different than I was when I was a kid. And they have genuine relationships with the individual with special needs. The children with special needs have genuine relationships with them. The barriers start to drop down. The perceived differences start to drop and fall away. And you have a real community. And maybe that's the most important thing we can, can achieve is that we allow for our children an opportunity to get it right when they're little kids and they can really begin to have those genuine relationships with people. So there's lots of very practical, important things that uh, a foundation does or a church does to uh, address not only individual challenges, but the systemic challenges that we face that will eventually lead to uh, sustainable change. Can I respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's got this grand systems change plan that sounds amazing and awesome and wonderful and really big and complicated and it's work that needs to be done absolutely I applaud you for the work that you've you've done and we need to do that in many many arenas but I like I just like to talk to or for that family or that church um, that small little church that's just beginning uh, that isn't thinking about systems change or thinking about what do we do with the next person that walks in the door and it's all about what you said towards the end there, Tony, about relationship. It's really about relationship. Most faith communities have a process or um, a plan for when a visitor comes or a guest comes, um, how they welcome them, how they greet them, how they find out a little bit more about them, find about, out about why they came, about what they like to do, what they're interested in, so they can connect them with a small group. Some places call it a new member process or a visitor's um, process, integration plan. There's lots of names for it. And I've been advocating for years that anyone with a disability that walks through the door or that you invite to come, you just use that same process you would with anyone who walks through the door. You ask what their interests are. You ask what their support needs are. You ask why they're here. What do they hope? What are their goals and hopes and dreams for being here? Um, what kind of things do they like to do? And then you introduce them like you would anyone to people who have similar shared interests. Maybe it's quilting, maybe it's bowling, maybe it's you know bingo. Um, so that they begin to have that entry point relationship. And as they see that you're willing to be in relationship and find out about who they are as a person or who that family unit is, each of those people in that family unit has a different need and a different take on the disability journey and in fact that's one of the workshops I'm going to present is talking about how the whole family matters when you're talking about disability. When you show that you care to know them and who they are and to become to be in relationship with them then it opens up the opportunity to ask those questions. What do you need? What kind of support and help? Do we need what what would you like to see happen here in this faith community? How can we help you become part of that? Um, and I think that is very easy. Anyone in any congregation can begin that conversation. It's being welcoming and treating someone with a disability or a family who has a loved one with a disability um, like they would anyone else who comes through the door. 
to get to know them, to find out why they're there and what that faith community can can be and do in their lives and how they can contribute to that faith community. That's pretty simple. We have some resources uh, that Bethesda's created that we've borrowed from others um, for that just that whole process, that whole welcome process. And in fact, Dr. Eric Carter that I mentioned earlier has a uh, congregational practices guide that we find invaluable in helping congregations begin those conversations. Um, and it has a scale of of welcome and belonging and what would you like to see here and what would help you feel as if you belonged to part of this community and those are easy tools that anyone can use to begin. Tony, one of the things that we talked about previously was that for people going to public schools there's a legal framework for inclusion in the form of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and a an explicit process in the form of an individual education program planning process, but that private schools and faith-based schools don't operate within that framework, and that parents and families need to develop an advocacy program to encourage their school to provide the necessary supports. Tell us about what your work there has been. Well, uh, whether it's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act or, you know, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, how those laws are applied in different contexts can vary. But in a very general sense, when a family makes the decision to send their child to a private school, that private school is um, not required uh, to welcome that child with, with special needs. Uh, typically, only if there's a per se case of discrimination will the school be compelled to uh, educate the child. But when parents make that decision, they generally aren't going to be, and their child won't necessarily be protected by the Individual with Disabilities Education Act. Uh, for example, uh, in St. Louis, um, we know statistically uh, there should be about 70 children with Down syndrome in Catholic schools. Uh, until we started our foundation, there was only one. So what's not uncommon is that private school systems, and, and I guess in particular I'm speaking of Catholic schools, they do a fairly good job of welcoming children with moderate to mild learning challenges. But when you get to the more... Uh, Severe, and I don't like to use the word severe because I think it has negative connotations. I prefer to use the term significant. When you are dealing with children with more significant special needs, they're just not in the school system. Uh, they're missing. And it's, it's a real tragedy. It's a real problem. And it's particularly acute in a lot of Catholic schools. So while as a family we wanted to uh, create opportunities for our son in Catholic schools, they just didn't know how to do it. And they didn't, uh, they were afraid to do it. They just didn't know how. And we really learned that there were hundreds and hundreds of families just like ours that had the same hopes, but were also uh, not being welcomed in the Catholic schools. And that there were many families before us. So it was, a, it was a real challenge. How can we as a faith community get our arms around this? And it really wasn't an issue of 
um, we don't think we should. It was more of an issue of we just don't know how to do it, and we're not prepared to do it, and we don't want to let the family down, and we don't want to let the child down. So how do we figure this out? And we had to give treatment to the topic, not from a legal framework, but from the very basis of our faith and what our responsibilities to each other are. And I think this approach is highly transferable, regardless of the private school context or regardless of the faith context, that while there may be a specific uh, uh, techniques you might use in a Catholic school system that might be different than a different school system, you, you have to find a way to appeal to the, the mission of the faith, the mission of the school system, to get people aligned on why this is so important. And that's a great way of opening that doorway to constructive communication. It's uh, Catholic schools in particular, because it's the second largest school system in the United States, there's something over, there's, there's about two and a half million kids. And because they disproportionately educate children in economically challenged areas, this nexus of faith and economically challenged communities and individuals with disabilities, it's a real challenge and it's very, very important that it needs to be addressed. And in the absence of a legal framework, you've got to come up with uh, another approach to, to bring people together so you get that, that base agreement on why this is essential. Um, and we found that to be very effective to go to our faith, to go to our relationship with Christ, remind us of our responsibilities as an institution, and begin cooperatively heading down that pathway to get people on the same page and to start uh, welcoming children into our schools and, and going through those uh, change processes, um, training and otherwise, to, to make it successful. Mona, you're involved in a broad spectrum of life issues for people with disabilities. And one of the things that we talked about was how churches can serve as a nexus for facilitating the development of networks of natural supports. Uh, could you tell us about that? Oh, sure. I'd love to. It's, um, I like to refer to faith communities and churches as the ultimate networking network because there's so many people gathered around a shared interest and they have a common denominator and they each have their own lives that they live that have huge networks and connections. So when we talk about people with disabilities, often they're marginalized in their communities in many ways, not just uh, in faith communities, but they may, we know from research that they're underemployed or unemployed, um, that they have often have very small circles within which they move. And, um, and the church, faith communities have a potential to just broaden that, that network for people with disabilities and become um, natural supports in lots of ways. So I think that that process I talked about with new members and visitors coming in the door where you find out what people's interests are and what their connections are can be a real interesting way to help broaden the life of a person with a disability when they come 
to that faith community. They find people with shared interests. It might be a hobby or vocational thing, such as quilting, but it might also be um, that they talk about how they'd love to get a job and they have skills and or interests or they have interest in getting more vocational skills in some area. And there may be someone within the congregation that has the perfect place for that to happen. Um, and so I'll give a, a brief example. Um, my son is, musically gifted and loves preschoolers and um, began to visit our preschool to share music uh, with the preschoolers. He has lots of instruments people have gifted him and through the process of that um, sharing that at the preschool in our congregation um, he made a connection with others at the community college and the preschool program where our the preschool director had done her student teaching and her training um, and began to visit that program and offer his music um, skills to that program and he is now has a paid position of uh, about 12 hours a week doing music with the preschoolers at our community college in our community and it came about because of his connection at our congregation where he used his interest of preschoolers and music to volunteer and give back to the congregation and that's just one example I have many many examples from the people we support across the country where their congregations or faith communities have become a place where they're in relationship with someone where they're able to share their hopes and dreams and their skills and their gifts where people can recognize it and then say hey I might have a way where you could use that gift or contribute or learn or grow or find a job. Um, and so I think I love that idea and I think they're a very underutilized resource for not only employment connections and networks but just for relationships and friendships and others who share those shared interests uh, with others. I mean the way that I make friends is I meet people and hang out with people who have similar interests in what I do. I like to garden, I like to read, um, and that's how I get to make friends. Um, people with disabilities are often isolated, especially if they live outside their family home, and the opportunity for socialization and outings is is more limited. If they can come to a faith community and begin to make friends and have relationships and in, engage in activities that are of interest to them, it broadens their whole their whole life it adds to their life and broadens their network and so I think it's a real underutilized resource by people with disabilities I think it's because they're not aware and they're not and they're fearful of their reception so again we go back to that disability awareness in the faith communities about just how to be inviting and welcoming and inclusive the two of you work with Catholic and Lutheran schools how ecumenical are your programs? How would your strategies apply in other faith schools? Well, I, speaking for uh, Catholic schools uh, here in St. Louis and in Kansas City, we've been very fortunate to benefit from the help from other faith communities. In fact, uh, there's an organization based in Kansas City called FIRE, Foundation for Inclusive Religious Education. That program was actually uh, initially started by uh, a group of both Catholic and Jewish families. And here in St. Louis, our first program at Mary Queen of Peace Parish in uh, Webster Groves, uh, one of the key individuals supporting us uh, was a, a special educator of the Jewish faith. So we're all in this together. And the way we solve problems uh, are going to be very similar. So we, we have an outreach component 
where all our uh, functions are open to other private schools of other faiths. And we have a lot of common challenges, whether it's the lack of a legal framework to support us or resource constraints in terms of financing or access to expertise. And uh, they're all common shared programs, commonly shared problems that, that all our faith communities uh, uh, are sharing. So how we solve the problems and how we approach it is very transferable to other contexts. Um, and part of what we hope to accomplish with the workshop with Tash was to share how we're trying to solve this problem so that other faith communities can bring it back and you know borrow and observe what we're doing and translate it into uh, what it might work for their system. So whether it's our appeal to the mission of the, uh, of the faith-based school, whether it's how we go about uh, creating institutions like foundations to address some of the systemic issues, whether how we organize our schools, both at the local school level and across the school system to make it more conducive to inclusive education, all those things are transferable to other contexts. So we very much want other faith contexts to, to benefit from the work we're doing, and we want to learn from them as well. Well, Lutheran schools are very ecumenical. They're open to any student of any faith tradition. Uh, the family's told, of course, that our Lutheran theology will be taught, and they need to understand and agree to that. But our schools are really very ecumenical. And each school responds to their individual situation in their context. So inclusive education in Lutheran schools is really grassroots effort in each location. Um, I'm not aware of any systems level ecumenical efforts around inclusion. I think that each staff at each location looks for resources, helps support ideas, models to copy um, from wherever they can find them. If I may just add uh, one additional uh, comment. Uh, you know, Catholic schools uh, aren't just for Catholics. Uh, here in St. Louis, over 14% of all students that go to Catholic schools are non-Catholic. Uh, that's six to 8,000 kids. And uh, Catholic schools generally try to reach out to economically challenged communities. And I know, uh, for example, uh, we're raising $300 million to support uh, tuition payments for students from economically challenged communities. And oftentimes those students that are uh, benefit from those tuition uh, programs are non-Catholic. So in every community across the United States, uh, our goal is for Catholic education is to provide good education for students, regardless of their faith background. And so in a very practical sense, while uh, it may be an educational system that's supported by the Catholic Church, it's an educational system for all students, regardless of their faith background. Yeah, and that's true for Lutheran schools as well. And any student is welcome to attend. It's not just for Lutheran students. The two of you are in the Wednesday workshop, Faith and Inclusion, Embracing Inclusion for People with Disabilities in School and Community, at the TASH Annual Conference. Would you preview that workshop for us? What can attendees expect to learn? Well, uh, I'm really excited about the workshop. I'm really grateful for TASH to uh, create the opportunity for us. When they reached out to us uh, for our participation in developing the seminar, 
you know, we jumped at the chance and uh, we thought it was a great opportunity to uh, support the mission of TASH and to uh, shed light on what we think is uh, a pretty important challenge uh, in terms of welcoming more students successfully in inclusive educational environments. It seems that private schools, at least Catholic schools, struggle with successful inclusion of students with more significant special needs. The statistics are uh, a little bit disheartening about how many students uh, we reach, uh, the different types of students we reach, and we need solutions uh, to figure out how to be uh, more successful in welcoming uh, individuals with special needs into our educational institutions. So as we were putting together ideas on the uh, seminar, we wanted to uh, have a progression of ideas that where one would build on the other so that any attendee, uh, if they so choose, could get a very comprehensive uh, uh, glimpse at uh, the challenge that face the schools, or if they had a particular issue that they want to learn more about, they could visit any one aspect of the workshop uh, to learn about something that they might be able to bring back to their community. So we're starting with um, the very basics, the very fundamentals, sort of the foundation of why we should do this, why it's important. If we don't have a legal framework, we have to establish the big why. And in a faith context, at least in a Catholic context or a Christian context, that has to do with our gospels and our relationship with Christ. We have to remind ourselves why this is so vital to us as a church and as an extension of the body of Christ. So that's how we start the program. That's a, an idea that any faith context can learn from. Advocating from the mission of their faith why this is so essential. Then we move on to um, addressing some of the, uh, the role of a foundation or an institution to work within a school system to sort of match up on a long-term basis to help achieve sustainable change through creating awareness and creating professional development and raising funds and bringing expert resources to the problem. It's a very practical approach towards solving problems in a system. Then we're going to have a wonderful gentleman named Michael Boyle come down from Chicago to talk about how to address uh, this problem from a school system standpoint. Some individual private schools are small, and it might be just a, a single school, but many are systems, and a lot of our school systems in the faith context are highly decentralized, where individual schools have a lot of authority to make uh, decisions about programs and how they're implemented. Well, that poses a particular challenge if you're trying to achieve comprehensive change. So he's going to talk a lot about how to think about solving this problem from an organizational standpoint or a system standpoint, which is particularly important for school systems and how they develop and train people and, and implement policy. But we're also going to talk about how it really happens at the ground level. And one of the most exciting parts of the workshop that I'm excited to share is the story of one school and how they went from not being inclusive to being inclusive at the very ground level, from learning about it to communicating it to the teachers, to communicating it to the community, to figuring out on a teacher-by-teacher -teacher basis how they're going to be successful in the classroom, how to welcome these, these new students into the school. It's a real rubber-hits-the-road session on 
what it really looks like and what the challenges are really like at that individual level, at that small school level. So we wanted to give participants an opportunity to uh, go to the session, look at it comprehensively if they wanted to, maybe target specific issues that were more relevant to them, and we want them to leave with a toolkit uh, of information and resources and contacts so they can go back to their community and achieve real change, uh, whether it's at their individual school level or at a systems level. So we're really excited to, to share uh, with uh, the participants at the TASH conference uh, a way of thinking about this really important issue of how to achieve inclusive education in private schools. You know, uh, something over 10% of all students in the United States attend private schools. So you're talking about close to 6 million students and close to a million kids with diagnosed learning challenges and, you know, 100,000 kids with more significant special needs. So it's, it's, it's something that has to be addressed. It's, it's a, a challenge that's unique to private schools. And we hope in, in some small way our, our workshop can contribute towards solving those problems. And our focus is, uh, Bethesda was really very happy to uh, sponsor this faith-focused pre-conference day. When we began to talk about it, it was really talking about a half day, and it's grown to a full day, so I'm very excited about that. And Bethesda is very excited to be sponsoring this so that this can happen in conjunction with the TASH conference. Our focus is really threefold. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we talk about the whole family matters and the whole ministering with and to the whole family uh, who's experiencing that journey of disability. So we uh, that one workshop session will be taught by myself as a parent um, and talk about not only the person with disability, the parents, the siblings and the grandparents and the, um, the support needs and the processes they go through and how faith communities can really support the whole family. Then we have a second one talking specifically about and that facilitating natural supports in faith communities and they'll go away with a toolbox of information, ideas and processes and, and um, materials to help uh, congregations and faith communities become places of more natural support and for families to take with them back to their communities and to approach their faith communities about being more inclusive and more intentional about developing natural supports for their family members. Particularly around vocation, there's a new initiative called Putting Faith to Work that really uh, provides a toolkit to a congregation to really become intentional about finding um, employment, developing vocational skills and helping find employment for people with developmental disabilities using their congregational networks. And um, we all believe and advocate that employment is huge uh, it for contributing to society, for helping improve quality of life with added income and, and in quality of life with uh, feelings of, of accomplishment and self-worth and being employed. It's a huge issue for people with disabilities. And then the third one is, I will be taught by my coworker, Reverend Josh Galgan, uh, really looking at the whole big picture about how, uh, and I think the title is Ending Marginalization by Disability. And he really speaks to that. How can we um, begin to end that marginalization that people with disabilities experience on a daily basis? Um, and the key to that is relationships and talking about how we invest in relationships, become aware of, of 
the value those relationships with people with disabilities and their families can bring to our lives um, to improve the quality of life for everyone. So those are the three workshop sessions and Bethesda's really pleased and proud to be able to sponsor this and help this conversation about faith communities and advocacy among and within faith communities, meaning churches and schools, um, how to advocate for people with disabilities in those arenas um, and add that to the TASH conversation. Where can people interested in inclusion in churches and in private religious schools find out more? Well, they can go to Bethesda's website. It's www.bethesdalutherancommunities.org. We have a tab that says Faith Supports, and that takes you to all the resources and consultants available uh, nationwide. And they can also go to our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod website. That's www.lcms.org slash disabilities. And we have multiple, multiple levels and pages of information, resources, networks, and so forth, uh, downloadable, printable, etc. Lots of hyperlinks to share information and resources with people on those two websites. And those other organizations I mentioned earlier, Lutheran Special Ed Ministries and Lutheran Special Schools and Services and CLC Network are listed there and hyperlinked there. What about putting faith to work? Where can people find out about that? That's on the Vanderbilt website, Vanderbilt University. So Dr. Eric Carter works at the Vanderbilt Kennedy Center, which is the University Center for Excellence on Developmental Disabilities in Nashville. If they go to that website and um, it's available there or they can contact us we have permission we have a great friendship with Eric and uh, we have permission to share his his information and send it out I'll certainly have those print copies as well as electronic um, access to those at the workshop and Tony where can people find out more about one classroom and your efforts well, they can, uh, they can visit our website, which is www.one-classroom.org. Uh, uh, they can also visit the uh, National Catholic Board on Full Inclusion, and that's uh, www.fullinclusionforcatholicschools.org. It's a, it's a great organization that's sort of a clearinghouse for all things uh, related to inclusive Catholic education, where you can uh, find more resources that can help you in your school or parish community. You can also visit the Fire Foundation, and that's the firefoundation.org. They're sort of the gold standard for foundations supporting inclusive Catholic education and Catholic schools. They've got a great system working in Kansas City, a lot of experience. They've been doing it for a lot of years. So you can reach out to uh, the Fire Foundation. Um, there's also a, an organization in Chicago called Aspire. And uh, that's www.aspirechicago.com. They work a lot with communities, faith communities, uh, not just with education, but in other aspects of uh, inclusion. And uh, they're a great organization to reach out to as well. And uh, there's also uh, at the Andrew Greeley Center for Catholic Education at Loyola University, there's a program called the Mustard Seed Project uh, where Michael Boyle, uh, directs and he advocates for uh, inclusion in uh, faith schools and Catholic schools. And uh, that can be reached at www.luc.edu uh, and look for uh, Mustard Seed Project and uh, Michael Boyle. 
So those are just some of the resources that are available. And, um, you know, uh, this journey starts with one step. And we've been really blessed uh, as we started to reach out to know that there are wonderful people, wonderful resources out there that have been doing this a long, long time. And they can really help your family and really help your community. Mona First to Now and Tony Armitage. Thank you for talking with us today about your work on inclusion in faith communities. And thank you to Bethesda Lutheran Communities and One Classroom for organizing and sponsoring the Faith and Inclusion Wednesday workshop at the 2016 TASH Annual Conference. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to TASH Amplified. For more about the series, including show notes, links to articles discussed, a complete transcript, and a schedule of episodes, visit tash.org amplified. You can subscribe through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app to have the series delivered automatically to your device so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and on your social networks. TASH is a values and research-based advocacy association with a 40-year record of working for the rights of people with disabilities. On November 30th through December 2nd, TASH will hold its annual conference in St. Louis, Missouri. We hope you will join us there. Today's episode has been a preview of the Wednesday workshop titled Faith and Inclusion, Embracing Inclusion for People with Disabilities in School and Community, to be held as part of the annual conference on November 30th. A special thanks from TASH to Mona Firstenau and Tony Armitage and their respective organizations, Bethesda Lutheran Communities and One Classroom, for sponsoring and organizing this workshop. This is just one of the 300-plus sessions presented by self-advocates, educators, family members, researchers, and service providers covering inclusive education, self-determination, employment, sexuality, assistive technology, the home and community-based waiver, and more. For a complete schedule of sessions, browsable by speaker and topic, and to register, visit tash.org slash conference2016. You can receive updates from TASH on this podcast and our other activities by following us on Facebook or on Twitter at TASH Tweet. Music for TASH Amplified is an original composition and performance by Sonny Seferati, the co-director and autistic self-advocacy mentor at The Musical Autist. You can learn more about The Musical Autist at themusicalautist.org. This has been a sample of the colleagues and conversations available through TASH. It is only because of the excellent work that our members do that we can bring you this information. For more resources such as this and to become a member, visit tash.org join. We'll hear from another outstanding advocate again in two weeks. <laughs>